I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And you're listening to Tales from Wisteria Lane. The podcast where we give a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. Hi guys and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane. I'm Joel. I'm Billy Ray. And today we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 16, The Ladies Who Lunch. Best title so far. I'm loving this title. It's such a cool, funky, sort of, it sums everything up in one. We don't even need to do that whole bit at the end. So, uh, do you want to get started with some trivia as you are doing that today? Yes, so this episode was written by Alexandra Cunningham and it was directed by Arlene Sanford. I don't have any idea where the title came from. I know that's something that we always do, but I didn't actually find it. But my my trivia research was like five minutes. (laughs) I'm so disappointed in you. So, after a three-week absence, Nicolette Sheridan returns as Edie Britt and has the most screen time for this episode among the entire cast. Thank God. It, you can really tell. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, best episode so far. In the Behind Closed Doors book, Nicolette Sheridan said that there was actually a scene shot for the episode which didn't air, which featured her and Gabby. And what was happening was Gabby was going to sell the house because, you know, they need the money. Mm. So, um, Edie goes around to have a look and... Uh, <laughs> Edie says, have the walls always been this orange? Don't get me wrong, I love the colour, it's just very ethnic. Oh! And, oh. <laughs> and then, at the end of the scene, Gabby tries to convince Edie that they're not selling the house because they need the money, and Edie says, honey, you either sell your house because you're moving up or you're moving down, so this is evidence you're moving down. Oh! Why is it not evidence that they're moving up? <laughs> I mean, I know all the signs point to down, but... <laughs> and then... Oh, Edie wipes the banister with her hand and says, Ooh, your maid really needs a slap in the face, doesn't she? <gasps> oh, <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about this scene. I think it's hilarious. I, d- I don't know. I read it and I thought, this is really funny. I'm s- I wish they kept it in. I know it didn't actually happen in the episode, but is it worth an Edie sass? Is it an Edie sass moment if it didn't happen? No. We don't want to overuse our UD sass. We're already going to be using it a lot of this. Okay. This episode. Andrea Bowen, who plays Julie, this is also in the um, Behind Closed Doors book. So if you're a fan, I really do recommend you get this book, right? She said that there was also a part they cut where Susan's upset about Mike. And after she leaves the room, she Susan just dissolves into tears, right? Mm-hmm. And then Julie comes back in and says, I forgot my magazine. And because Susan doesn't want Julie to see her crying, she sticks her head in the freezer like she's looking for something and says, I, I think it's on the table. Then um, Julie leaves and Susan takes her head out of the freezer and she's got frozen tears on her face. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> how long was she in that freezer for how long did it take julie to find that magazine for your tears to freeze love right they must have some real problems with that freezer if it's that cold either that or it just does a damn good job they, have to, they probably have to de- defrost it every like five minutes i feel like we have to do that with ours <laughs> but i i thought that was quite funny i think no that was funny but i like the fact that sure she closes the door and we see that emotional sort of we can see that she's really struggling even though she's holding it back for julie and i feel like julie coming through sort of ruins that it turns it into comedy again. Yeah. And that's sort of where they're going with Susan an awful lot. So it's nice to get a moment that doesn't turn into comedy with Susan. She's locked out the house naked. She stumbles upon Andrew, who's gay. They do an awful lot of let's turn this Susan moment into comedy. Yeah, this was very Mrs. Doubtfire, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. So we're going to move on to the previously, which is not something that we've done before, but we're going to give it a go. Let's give it the previously a go. So for people that have, may not have watched it for a little while or, or you know, are just sort of... You've had a busy week. You've had a busy week or you've sped ahead of us because we're only doing one episode a week right now. Then previously, Brie confronted Maisie on her affair with Rex. Carlos returns home in house arrest, which 
annoys Gabby because he can't leave the house, and so <laughs> she was expecting to get money. Felicia recognised Mary Alice, but she recognised her as Angela, and then starts to grow ever more suspicious of Paul when he denies it, and Susan finds out about Mike's past, including his time in prison for manslaughter. Mm. So that is sort of a, pre- a brief sum up of what has happened relating to this episode. Yeah, so basically Mary Alice's nuggets of information of, remember this, guys? Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get started, shall we? Yeah, let's get into it, yeah. So, Mary Alice starts by discussing how every neighbourhood has plenty of scandals from, you know, just, like, simply stealing a neighbour's newspaper to getting free porn from the cable guy if you slip him an extra 20, which isn't a lot for free porn. It's not, and also, how dated that makes this episode. <laughs> <laughs> just go on, the, go on Pornhub, Tom. However, once in a while, a scandal so big occurs that it's all anybody can focus on, and that's when we cut to Maisie Gibbons, who seems to be taking a client up to her room to solicit, before he pulls out his handcuffs and arrests her for solicitation. Right. Right. She is then removed from her property in her lingerie for the whole neighbourhood to see. She tries to escape, but she doesn't get very far before collapsing on the lawn and carted away. And we end with Mary Alice saying that news will go worldwide and a neighbour whips out her flip phone to tell as many people as possible. Yeah, we get this little editing moment where we see the call goes to another person, to another person. It's like that advert, and they'll tell two friends, and they'll tell two friends. What advert? I can't remember, it's an old one, but it's like, I'll tell two friends, and they'll tell two friends, and it keeps zooming out the screen as it's more and more squares. I don't remember that advert at all. I think it's a bit before our time. Oh, maybe. Maisie didn't handle that with a lot of class. <laughs> she really didn't. And, like, who is she kidding, claiming it's a mistake? Like, first, she's so polite to ask the police officer to leave. She's like, I'm going to have to ask you to leave now. Yeah, as like, if, girl. Like, it's so polite. And then she's like, You're, this is a big mistake. But then literally no less than five minutes before, she's like, oh, there's not a lot of sleeping going on if I'm doing my job right. <laughs> and then he pulls out his handcuffs and she's like, that's going to cost extra. But this is a mistake. I think you've... I think you've got the wrong end of the stick. <laughs> when she said that to his handcuffs, I facepalmed. I was like, oh, <laughs> Maisie, come on. Yeah, that, did, that she... didn't do, go down too well. Also, flip phone, old tech alert. Uh, I, I wish I still had a flip phone. <laughs> just so I could, like, hang up on people and be like, whatever, snap. <laughs> also, that lady's flip phone wasn't even on. It cuts to a shot of a lady flipping up her flip phone, and it's not even on. So... No, it was just a black screen. She wasn't even playing Snake. Does she walk around with her phone off all day until she needs to use it? Maybe. What kind of madness is that? I don't know. I kind of wish I had that at work today. Okay, anyway, so... Title sequence. (laughs) That cuts to the title sequence, yeah. And then we move on to Lynette. And I've gone too far past my notes. Hang on, there we go. We see a short, a very short scene, obviously, as you've just said, showing us how information moves over the phone. Before we move on to Lynette, sat in her car, waiting for the twins to come out of school. The head teacher's outside, advising parents that there's an outbreak of head lice or nits as we in England like to call it. Yeah. And with all the gossipy mums mutter to each other about where it's come from and, you know, who's caused it. And as that's going on, Lynette's boys come out of school, scratching their heads, and (laughs) everyone assumes it's them. And Lynette quickly grabs her kids and flees the scene. Those parents were so uptight. They were like, it's our right to know who brought the lice into the school. So judgy. Why is it your right to know? It's not the Black Death. Right, it's it's head lice, ladies. Let's calm down. Let's take it down a notch. Everyone gets nits. Everyone gets head lice, especially like as a child. Yeah. It's not that big a deal. It's really You just gotta comb it out. It it ain't pleasant. Private school, am I right? And you know there's an outbreak of head lice going around the school, so seeing two children coming out of school and scratching their heads isn't like a, it must be them. Right, I really don't get how the plot goes that way. There's an outbreak. It's like coronavirus. If I see someone walking down the street and coughing, I'm not going to think they're patient zero. (laughs) The logic! 
Anyway, so Gabby is in the shower and Carlos begins to notice sort of brown sewage water coming up out of their, all of their sinkholes and he begins to warn Gabby, but she can't hear him over the noise of the shower. Eventually, very quickly, I would like to point out, she realises there's a problem herself and we hear a scream of disgust. <laughs> The couple decide to call Mike, who digs a big hole in their front garden and advises them that they need their whole system repiped. He kindly offers to do the job for them at cost, but it's still looking at about six to seven grand minimum, he says. How crazy is that? They advise Mike that they'll let him know, telling him they've got a few things around the house they kind of want to do, so they're going to have to put it on the list, refusing to admit to him that they do have a money problem. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Carlos could have made more of an effort to let Gabby know what was going on before it went through the shower. I mean, he tried. He didn't try hard enough because it was coming through the oh. different sinks. You know that was going to happen. Oh, come off it. You would have been exactly the same. I'm in the shower singing and you're like, babe, babe. That is, there's something. <laughs> that is entirely untrue. <laughs> Completely true. I would have turned it right off. But, oh, there's more to the scenes. Mike admits to the couple that he hasn't had much work since his arrest as people don't seem to want anything to do with him, but Carlos sympathises, telling him that they are all innocent until proven guilty before Gabby and Carlos leave and go back to the house. He also says, am I right? As if <laughs> am like, I right? I just, oh, Carlos and Mike are now like criminal bros. Gabby's comment back though, I hope he's more innocent than you are. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck life. I hope Mike fills that hole in, by the way. Oh yeah. And that, that's not a euphemism, obviously, but... <laughs> They're at least going to have to pay for that. Yeah, well, I'm sure Mike will probably not charge them for that. So Susan listens to her voicemail from Lynette, who's convincing her to come to poker so she can dish the dirt that she has on Maisie, but she doesn't really seem to be very interested. We then hear a voicemail from Mike, who tries to explain things to Susan, but she promptly deletes it before she finishes it even. And Julie asks if she's okay, telling her that she can stay home instead of going to her dad's. Susan disagrees, telling her 14-year-old daughter that her and Mike were just a fling and that she's fine. This is when Carl turns up, and as Julie leaves, she turns around to give her mum a hug to make her feel a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> I still got a problem with this. You don't need to be turning to your 14 year old daughter and be like, oh, it was just a one time thing. It was just a fling. Just a fling. Yeah, right. First of all, Susan, that's a massive bull faced lie. Everyone knows it. And second of all, this girl's 14. She don't need to hear about her mum's flings. Just a fling. Who are you kidding? I don't think. But it's already bad enough that she knows that you had sex because you made pancakes out of little hearts. It's weird that that's a definer. <laughs> that's one of the, that's the ritual. Well, most people that ha don't get laid would just make regular pancakes, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> It's also a nice difference to have Susan say, no, don't worry, this isn't your problem, you go, rather than actually laying it all out on Julie. And it's a nice difference to see a teenage daughter that's actually hoping that her mum can find someone else. Yeah. As opposed to hating every single man that comes through that door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Bree and Rex are at the country club, and Rex tells Bree he didn't play golf in the end as he still isn't feeling very great. But the doctors still don't know why his medication isn't working. We then hear Tish, who's just like a random woman, gossiping in the distance, and Rex asks Bree to call her over and find out what the dirt is as they could all use a laugh. She tells them both the news about Maisie, and that apparently she has a little black book with all of her clients' names in it. This joke falls flat with a couple, however, who do not find it funny. <laughs> Did you like the joke, Rex? <laughs> why aren't you laughing? <laughs> So, this scene, Brie is finally wearing a golf outfit that I can get behind. Pastel blue shirt, white cardigan wrapped around the shoulders, but that hair. Oh, that like, hair. That, oh, no, I loved it. I was like, Brie looks great. She's giving me, like, I'm popping to the country club just to play around a tennis with the other ladies' realness. Like, she's literally there, like, I'm rich and I know it. I would agree with that. <laughs> Up until the point of other the ladies, pigtails. because of the hair, I'm like, maybe with the other girls. The pigtails, <laughs> and then she's like tied them up in what seems just like random strips of ribbon. Are you 12? The hair was very 12 year old. It but... looks like Dorothy got lost on the way to the Emerald Sea. But she, yeah, literally, she's like a rich Dorothy. But I, yeah, I like this outfit. It's, it's not a golf jumper. I appreciate that. 
So Lynette and Tom are checking the twins for head lice when they get a phone call from one of the mums from the school advising them that Topher, which is the twins' friend, his birthday party is off as he's sick. Lynette sees the BS in this and knows full well that they've been disinvited because everyone thinks they're patient zero, but Tom calls Lynette out for being paranoid and always creating conspiracy theories. Whoa, Tom, come on. Right? Lynette starts to worry that the boys will then get disinvited to everything now they've been disinvited to one thing. And this doesn't go down too well with the boys who no longer thinks that the nits are cool, but instead the destruction of their social life. I mean, likely story. We all know that you just didn't invite the boys. <laughs> oh, right? Tom, it's not a conspiracy theory. This is private school. This scene gives me a lot of memories. I remember my mum combing the nits out of my hair when I was that age. Ew, you had nits? Gross. (laughs) I was patient zero. (laughs) That little comb. Oh, that nit comb. It was horrible. It was so horrible. Trigger warning for all you adults out there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a nit comb. Edie, you can tell I was excited because the first lot of my notes about Edie's scene are in capitals. Yeah, with an exclamation mark. Edie's given back all of the documents to Paul, who's no longer selling his house, but staying on the lane, and escrow's now closed, therefore. Because Zach Young threatened him. Uh, yep, yeah, he's blackmailed by his son. He apologises to Edie and explains what's happened, but she takes it on the chin, saying it's part of the business. She tells Paul that she left his house key at home, so she'll bring it round tonight, but Paul tells her that nobody will be in, so bring it round the following day, and Edie jokingly hits on Paul. I'm going to see that sentence again because I've said Edingly. Edie jokingly hits on Paul offering to keep his house key but he doesn't quite get the joke and Edie replies telling Paul that his wife has been dead for six months so it's about time he lightens up. <laughs> Edie's ass. It's, it's coming. Edie's ass. Do the Edie's ass. Edie's ass. <laughs> yep. Been waiting to use that for a while. I know your wife's dead and all but it's been six months lighting up. Right? <laughs> like come on Paul everyone's making dead wife jokes but you catch up. Edie has no time for people not laughing at her jokes. No, Edie just doesn't have time for BS. Like, come on, Paul, just get over it now. Your wife's been dead. It's been six months. Let's move on. Okay, I wouldn't call it BS. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. We all know Paul. Uh, So, Felicia then turns up and gives Edie back a necklace of hers that she found in Martha's things. Edie tells her that she lent it to Martha, who claims to have lost it before thinking longingly about how she misses how they used to steal stuff from each other. Paul takes this moment to talk to Felicia about Mike being a suspect in Martha's murder, but Felicia makes it very clear that she does not believe it was him, as she isn't stupid enough to leave her jewellery lying around for anyone to find. Asking Paul (laughs) if that's what he would do if he had killed her. Paul tells Felicia not to trust Mike. She gives Paul a lingering look before complimenting Edie on the necklace and suggesting a store in Salt Lake City, which she would love. She asks Edie if she'd ever been to Utah before turning to Paul and asking if he has. She confides in Paul that she lived there when she was a nurse before laughing and saying goodbye. Bit of context. Utah is the place where her and Angela, as Mary Alice was called there, used to work, isn't it? Yeah, so Utah yeah. was where Paul and Mary Alice originally lived before moving to Wisteria Lane. So Felicia's been a bit K, a bit sassy. Just a tad sassy, and she's like, have you ever been Paul? You should definitely go sometime. Felicia is being a proper mood. She's just so catty and smiley about I've this. I've missed Felicia. Felicia and Edie in the same scene is... We don't get enough of it. God, God is blessing us <laughs> right now. So, with Gabby not having an indoor plumbing, she is forced to improvise her personal hygiene wherever she can. We see her quickly freshening herself up before returning to the poker table at Lynette's. Edie is about to give a Maisie Gibbons update before Lynette stops her feeling bad for discussing it, and then letting Edie continue. Edie tells the girl 
tells that Maisie's going to cut a deal with the prosecution, giving her book of names as there are some high profile Johns in there. For those that don't know, Johns mean clients. <laughs> so check me out with the lingo. I was a prostitute in another life. <laughs> we wouldn't have gathered that from the scene anyway. The girls then discuss who would even pay Maisie for sex, claiming that someone obviously isn't getting it at home. Bree keeps quiet during the conversation, listening intently and clearly trying to figure out how to handle the situation. You can sort of see it in her eyes. After the girls leave, Lynette and Edie start discussing Edie's first husband, how he taught her how to bluff, claiming that he was just lousy in bed. Edie moves the conversation on to Susan, asking how she's doing, and Lynette tells Edie that she's heartbroken and not left the house in days before sitting down and telling Edie she'll have to be more supportive of Susan if she really wants to be her friend. I really like Edie's cardigan in this scene, I'm just gonna say it. Don't remember it. Neither do I. But I wrote down that I like Edie's cardigan, so I must have <laughs> liked it. Oh, it was like, um, it was blue and it was quite loose fitting and it like hung off of her. It was very nice. Well, it's nice that Edie's, you know, in these scenes now. It is nice that Edie's now invo- involved in poker. Yeah. Like after that whole, let's wash Martha off of you season on your front lawn <laughs> um, with your hose kind of thing. Yeah, it's nice to see Edie actually, it's nice to see that Susan has kept her side of the promise. Yeah, Susan Edie's followed through. Them. Yeah. Yeah. But why are none of the friends checking on Brie? Because she's obviously hiding something, like with how quiet she is. And then when Brie like misses what happens and she's like, oh, what, what's just happened? And then that's like, the stakes were raised. And then Brie just goes, yes. Yes, they were. And I'm like, are you okay, Brie? That's a bit dodgy. That's a bit weird. So, Paul pulls out a box of old family videos before finding the one he's after, which says, Angela's Awards Party. He puts it in and begins watching intently before pausing it on Felicia, who is there at the party (laughs) with that hair. Yeah, Felicia wants to speak to the manager. Like, that hair is something... They didn't even try to make Mary Alice look any younger. No, Mary Alice is just there. <laughs> she's ageless, but maybe that's meant. Maybe that's symbolic because she's dead. Maybe. And like she has a presence throughout the show. Maybe she's been dead the whole time. Maybe they're trying to sixth sense us. I didn't mean that, but <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> Come on, M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> no, you stay away. You've ruined the avatar. Ung. Ugh. Okay, Gabby and Carlos are shaving themselves in their jacuzzi, whilst Gabby complains about how she is tired of making excuses as to why they haven't fixed their plumbing, telling Carlos that she blames him for this situation. Carlos quickly turns it around on Gabby, telling her that he wouldn't have broken the law if she wasn't so materialistic, ignoring the fact that he isn't much better. Gabby throws her dirty clothes into the jacuzzi and switches it on before storming off. Well, this is your fault, Carlos. This is. And Gabby also only storms off and claims that she doesn't have time to argue this because she knows she doesn't have a leg to stand on because she is incredibly materialistic. Yeah, but having a materialistic partner doesn't make you do crimes. I know, I would know. Okay, I was about to make that joke. Well, I beat it. Yeah, I know, now I'm offended. (laughs) Because I didn't make that joke, it came from you. Are you going to storm off then? (laughs) No, because we're recording a podcast and I'm respectful. But I do respect the ingenuity of using your jacuzzi to do your washing. Yeah, modern problems require modern solutions. Poor people problems require rich solutions. Yeah. (laughs) If only every poor person out there that can't afford to get their plumbing fixed had a jacuzzi. (laughs) So, Lynette pops in to see the twin school nurse and discusses with her how she doesn't understand how her kids got nits. The nurse tries to relax Lynette by telling her that it could happen to even the cleanest child. (laughs) Lynette still feels guilty for starting a whole pandemic that is until the nurse tells her that her children did not start it. Why are you so dramatic? It's just nits, guys. Yeah, I know, I know. But Lynette clearly is trying to salvage her children's social status. Honestly, a pandemic in the modern day is not nits. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, a pandemic in the modern day certainly is not Nets. Lynette tries to get the name of the child who is patient zero, as her children have now become a scapegoat, but the nurse is reluctant to tell Lynette. That is, until she finds out exactly who it was that started the whole, the twins were the one to have them first thing, and then all bets are off and the nurse tells her everything. I love this nurse. I love this nurse. She's literally just like, hmm, okay, sit down. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'm not taking this crap. No, this nurse just wants to go home. You can clearly see it's like the end of the day, she's packing up her bag. She just wants to go home and Lynette's not leaving. But this nurse can see the audacity that this other mum has. Oh yeah, Tammy. Love Tammy that. Brennan, the audacity you have. And then she just says that, she, impli- she implies it's, you know, Tammy Brennan's kid Topher that is patient zero. Mm. How the turntables. Right? It is Tammy Brennan's children. <laughs> children, child, should I say. Topher, it's Topher that is patient zero. And you can bet that we are getting into that party. Gabby is out for a jog when she sees building works going on. And where there are building works, there is a portaloo. <laughs> so she waits for the workers to leave before she steals the portaloo and takes it home. Oh, God. Modern Sorry. problems require modern solution. I'm just very triggered after going to festivals. Yeah, no, like, it's a good idea, Gabby, but they do stink. Oh, they're horrible. They're and so bad. She's clearly not been to a festival if she's not, like, if she's like, oh, yes, a portaloo, let's shove that in my back garden. Last year, me and my friends went to a Reading Festival, and there was just a certain section of loos. I think it was in uh, the B camp, I think that's what it was called. But every time you walked within... 10 metres, you could just smell it. Well, maybe you should have gone to the A-camp, please. It would linger, and it would float around, and it was just the worst. Well, maybe you should have gone to the A-camp, please. We did. They'll have, like, this the person that stands by the door and spritzes you with aftershave and, like, gives you a clean towel to dry your hands on. You've never been to a festival, have you? <laughs> I've performed at festivals, thank you very much. A festival is a free-for-all, you a know? festival is a free-for-all. You go in there, you, uh, you do your business into the ground... And then you leave with your hand sanitizer and hope for the best. Ew. <laughs> it's probably how coronavirus really started. Oh god, let's not go down that road. No, yeah, moving on. <laughs> so we go to the prison or the jail or wherever, and we now start to review Orange is the New Black. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Maisie is there, and she has a visitor that she does not know who it is yet. And she's very surprised to find out that her visitor is, in fact, Brie. With homemade goods. With homemade baked goods. So Brie is sat with Maisie, who's a little confused as to why she's there. And Brie asks Maisie to scratch Rex's name off of the little black book that she's got with all of her Johns. And Maisie claims it's a very big favour, but Brie does offer her money if she keeps her mouth shut. Maisie claims that if she does it for Brie, she would have to do it for everyone else. And Brie pulls out the friend card, and Maisie calls her out on it, asking her where she was when her husband lost his job. claims that she didn't mention it because she thought it would embarrass her and offers Maisie 14,000 just to keep quiet. But Maisie tells her that she isn't interested, but does give her credit for visiting her as none of the other women from the club have actually visited. Assuming that it's because she's come become the town whore. Brie corrects her, however, telling her that it's not because she's a whore, but because she wasn't all that nice to begin with. And she then leaves, but not without taking her basket of baked goods. Yeah, you kind of owe her, Maisie. You are the one that slept with her husband. Then again, girls just make it a living. <laughs> girls, girls make it a little bit of money, and she didn't come to Rex. How much did you say it was? 14,000. 14, 14 grand. That's, Rex came to Maisie. That's a lot of commissary Kit Kats. That is a lot of commissary Kit Kats. Yeah. Maybe a toothbrush. Maybe. But no, I Maisie didn't go to Brie. Brie came to Maisie. Yeah. Which therefore begs the question of how did Brie find out about Maisie? Power play. Maisie definitely has the upper hand. But like, 14,000 is a lot of money, Maisie, and you can't hate Brie that much that you refuse the money just to embarrass her. Like maybe for a, you know, a couple of hundred, I'd be like, no, I'd rather embarrass you if all you're offering me is 400 quid and I get out. But 14 grand, I'd be like, yeah, sure. I'll scratch your name off of that list. I'll scratch off the Pope too. 
But yeah, prison makes Maisie very bitter, but I guess showering with other women really does ruin your day. It's a shame we didn't get to see Prison Mike in there. It is a shame we didn't get to see Prison Mike. But he's out of prison now. <laughs> so Edie pops by to visit Susan, who looks like a mess and is decluttering. Easy assures Susan that she won't date Mike, but she will continue trying to sleep with him. And she forces Susan to get up, get dressed, go out and get drunk with her. Woo! Girls night! Girls night! Woo! This is exactly <laughs> what Edie's here for, just to get the other characters drunk. This is what girlfriends do. It's no wonder that Edie can't stand you, Susan. You're so rude. Real rude. Susan was really rude. I understand she's heartbroken right now. But Edie's actively, like, trying to make an effort and extend an olive branch and portray some sort of level of friendship with you, and you're making this really difficult for her. Edie's actually been quite nice, and the minute she walks in, Susan's like, what do you want, Edie? <laughs> well, she probably wants to slap you now. Right? Edie's like, that's what normal women do when she's like trying to drag Susan out, should I say. We keep getting these little sprinkles of Edie backstory and information. Like when she says, I know what it's like to have your heart stomped on. Yeah. And I want to know who's stomped on Edie's heart. I don't know, probably a lot of people. Well, well, maybe we'll find out. Maybe we will find out. But Edie's like, that's what normal women do. They go out and they get drunk and they like rant about their exes. But I'd like to point out, Edie, it's not just women. Us gays love it too. Yes. Snaps fingers. Uh, We do that when we get depressed. (laughs) We we do that when we're bored. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) So anyway, we go to the bar with the ladies who are checking guys out and drinking. And Susan tells Edie she hates them all, which is a real mood. Edie orders a lot more tequila in prep of spending the remainder of her evening with miserable Susan. While Susan goes on a rant about how she wants Mike. And she knows in her heart that he's innocent. And Edie asks her who did kill Martha then if Susan is so certain of it not being Mike. And Susan decides to throw up. Paul's name, telling Edie that he is hiding something, and she proceeds to fill her in on everything that she's found out since the beginning of the season that Edie hasn't been around. Oh, the slander. So, Edie tells Susan of Paul's conversation with Felicia earlier, and Susan believes that is more evidence against him, and Edie jokingly tells Susan they should break into Paul's house and look around as she's got a key, but Susan does actually convince her to go ahead with it. Is it actually considered breaking in if you've got the key? No, it's just entering. Yeah. Well, it's... Because you didn't break anything to enter unless the key breaks in the lock. Well, it's entering into someone's property, which is also illegal. Entering under false pretenses is what it would be considered, I guess. Entering without breaking in is a lot less worse. Mm. Also, Susan, men do not have all the power when it comes to seduction. Where are you getting this idea from? Yeah, Edie's like, oh, oh not Edie, sorry. Susan's like, oh, they've got all the power. Like, men don't have all the power. Even when you're at your age, you still have all the power. Yeah. Edie's really sweet in this scene. Like, in this whole scene, from entering Susan's house to being at the club, because it honestly doesn't feel like there's an ulterior motive. Yeah, she's as which, sweet as Edie can be. Yeah, which is sort of, I don't know, it's always felt like there's some sort of underlying level of ulterior motive with Edie. Oh, yeah. Whether it's just... <laughs> to be sort of like shady and sneaky or if there is genuinely something else that she is looking for. Always feels like there's an ulterior motive but this time she's just trying to be a friend in the best way that Edie knows how which is dragging out a girl and getting a drunk. Damn right. At least she's always honest about her ulterior motives though. Oh yeah, usually. Like when she's like, don't worry, I'm not going to try and date him. I'll still try and sleep with him though. (laughs) Some mountains are just meant to be climbed. She's completely honest about her intentions always. Even her ulterior motives are just laid bare. She is. So Brie and Rex are out to dinner and they start to notice people giving them sort of a cold shoulder. Rex tells Brie that his doctor still doesn't know why his meds aren't working. It's the second time this episode that's been brought up and wants to run more tests, but Rex is beginning to think about getting a second opinion. Brie starts to notice more so that people are staring before they realise that maybe Maisie's list has probably been released, and that is why. Rex wants to leave, but Brie refuses to give everyone the satisfaction, and Rex gets up to go, but Brie threatens to scream about his infidelity, his cruelty, and his fetish if he does, and he quickly changes his mind. 
yeah, he's like, I'm gonna just get up and leave you if you if you want to stay here. You can stay here, but I'm going. I was like, oh god, it's Rex back to his old self again. Yeah, but at the same time, I didn't appreciate Bree's comments. Which about ones? like, oh, I'll scream about your fetish and like, I'll scream about this to make sure it really hurts and the embarrassment is there. Like, Brie, come on. Yeah, but she's angry. He I just know... threatened to just get up and leave her here. I know she's angry, but at the same time, it's comments like that that make Rex think that you're judging him. Sometimes you just got to dig a bit deep, you know, just to get your point in there. No, you really don't have to dig that deep. <laughs> it's, like, it's not like Rex can help his preference. His preference is his preference. People... I understand that she's angry. People say bad things when they're angry. They do. Again, Brie looks great. I'd like to point out. Yeah, Bree is very dressed up for dinner. this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, Susan and Edie break into pools, but they aren't sure of what it even is that they're looking for. Just something suspicious. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. <laughs> Which is a very generic thing. Edie starts to steal his booze, as Susan begins talking about how she's always felt something evil in this house, but with Mary Alice alive, you could just never tell. Edie knocks into something, dropping videotapes on the floor, and Susan picks them up, and she pick- that means she picks up the tape marked Angela's Awards Party. They put the tape in, and begin watching, but that's when they hear Paul return home. Susan switches off the TV, removes the tape, before jumping behind the sofa and dropping the tape while she does so. Great. I know. Paul enters, and Edie jumps out from behind the sofa, telling Paul she was just (laughs) returning his key. Shockingly, he doesn't believe this bald-faced lie. Edie tells him that she has feelings for him and kisses him so that Susan can escape. However, she does not manage to grab the tape, and it's left on the sofa where she dropped it. As Susan is crawling out of Paul's house, she's seen by Mike, and Edie apologises to Paul for embarrassing him, and goes to leave before he pulls her back in to kiss her even more. (laughs) There's a lot of unwarranted kissing in this episode. Good on Edie, just take him on for the team. That is a real friend, Susan. Yeah. That is a real friend that would do something like that so that you can escape. If I was Edie, I'd be like, Susan's behind the couch. Right. (laughs) Try not to burn your bridges with this lady because we know that you like to burn things. Susan's like, I just want to say, (laughs) Susan's proper gone like Derek Cora. She's like the Derek Cora of Rosario Lane where she sat down and she's like, something happened in this house, something awful and I can can feel it and I'm going to try and contact someone (laughs) now. I'm getting the name Angela. Does does that mean anything to anyone? (laughs) She, yeah, you can really tell that she's had a few drinks because she just walks in and she just starts rambling. <laughs> she's just chatting BS. It's BS that she, she just, they, they had an episode length to fill and they needed to fill it. So they were just like, let's just have Susan chat some crap right now. Edie's face though. She's just like, yeah, yeah, okay. Whatever, Miss Marple. Whatever, Miss Marple. I can tell that you've had too much to drink. <laughs> Mike questions Susan on why she isn't returning his messages, and she reiterates that they are over. He tells Susan that she can't believe that he's a cold-blooded killer, and although she doesn't believe that, she does believe that blind faith isn't exactly on her side. And Mike claims that there was never a right moment to tell her, but she calls him out on that, claiming that there were plenty of times. He offers to tell her the truth right now, but she isn't interested, so instead he goes in to kiss her, and then she walks away. Oh, he walks away, sorry. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy that random kiss, to be honest. Yeah, it did feel a little bit like, oh. He did, and I was like, that was inappropriate. Let's not kiss a person when they're not really wanting a kiss because she's clearly just said you're over. So on the one hand, Susan has a point. When it comes to awkward conversations and things that you do need to tell someone that you're getting in a relationship with, there's never going to be a right time. So you do just have to kind of do it at some point. And when it's been this long, it really should have been brought up by now. But... And also keeping the truth from someone this big after a while, it is kind of lying. 
I mean, it is kind of lying, but I'm sort of a little bit, I, I, I get where Mike's coming from, because there never is a good time to turn to a person and say, yeah, I killed a guy. No, of course not. But there's not. never a good time. All of those examples that Susan gave him, like when they're out for pizza, or when, you know, they were watching a film or anything, those were not good examples, Susan. That is exactly my point. There's never going to be a good time. So just do it. You eventually just have to say, we have to have a serious conversation. I'm not proud of my past and I have things to tell you. Yeah, like there's, there like will be... Met. Yeah, yeah, I know, but we've accepted your past, it's fine. <laughs> I was talking about your past, what have I done? Uh, ain't nothing wrong with my past, girl. Ain't nothing wrong with my past. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, also, Susan proper stays on her hands and knees while she's crawling out of Paul's house until she gets to the road. I know, right? And then she stands up. Proper solid snake. So, like, she might see her and you see the exclamation mark above her head. <laughs> But on the other hand, Susan, I don't think it's very fair to call him a killer. Like, the connotations with that word are so horrible and negative for someone that committed manslaughter. Yeah, It's, a... it's vastly different. Like, he's he's killed a man. He, he, he killed a person, but it was manslaughter, which means that it's not murder. So when you yell at someone that you killed a person, yeah, you're not wrong. But the word killer, but... the connotations, that's what you'd call Ed Gein. Yeah. Or Ted Bundy or someone. You'd, yeah. you'd say, you're a killer. But you, like, someone who... Or Louis Rowe. But if someone runs into the road and you run them over you would hope that people aren't calling you a killer yeah they just call you an alcoholic that's got a drinking problem and you need to go to rehab why do you always have to bring this up we're just we're doing the podcast we don't need to talk about this right now well i'm sorry but you never listen to me when we're not doing the podcast (laughs) (laughs) but yeah genuinely speaking i don't it's not nice susan no it's really it's not even if you're upset but this you know goes back to what we said about brie earlier people say people say things when they're angry yeah that's true so, Gabby wants to use her portaloo, but Carlos is currently using it instead. So, in her desperation, she runs over to Breeze. Bree takes this moment to ask her if everything is okay, claiming that she's been acting a bit odd lately, and people have noticed that she's using everyone's bathroom and doing laundry in the jacuzzi. Yeah, Bree... nosy garden. Nosy neighbour. There was a nosy neighbour that was watching them do their laundry in the jacuzzi. Probably because they were being so loud. Maybe. They were yelling about their money problems. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bree asks if they're having money trouble and feels hurt that Gabby hid it from her and Gabby calls Brie out I'm using that phrase a lot in this episode Gabby calls well, Brie out. you use it a lot in the show in general I do, it's just a nice way of being like Gabby slaps, calls her on this. Gabby snaps back, like Gabby calls Brie out using Rex and Maisie as her example claiming that Brie hid that from her Brie sees a difference but Gabby does not Gabby asks Brie to ignore her humiliation and act like it hasn't happened What do you think about, is there a, a slight difference would you say? I don't think there is I mean, they're both because they're just, both they're both personal, overly personal. They're both personal problems. Like, yeah, one is more of a relationship-based problem, and one is more of a financial-based problem. But both of them are personal. And if I was supposed to be that good of a friend, there's nothing too personal. I know what full well right now. I can walk out onto that balcony, call Lottie, and tell her anything. There is nothing that I cannot tell Lottie. I think this is where we have a slight divide between America and England, because in well, the United Kingdom. In the United Kingdom. I think we are more <laughs> self-deprivating and honest about our struggles. Mm-hmm. Like, we go up to our friends and be like, we can't afford this, we have no money. Yeah. Or just like, oh god, we, have, we just have no money, guys. I mean, the amount of stuff that Lottie and Amy both know about me when I've struggled and felt like I couldn't talk to anybody, and I know full well those are the two people that I can talk to and get honest, legitimate answers from where they can turn to me and say, no, you're being crazy. Yeah. Or anything. Because a lot of the time, that's what I need to hear. I think Gabby has a very warped 
idea of friendship in this scene when she turns to Brie and she's just like ignore it like this is how I see friendship and it's that you know you ignore that I'm struggling I think and that's, we just um, go through the motions and go through things like normal and I think that's a very sort of twisted view on friendship I think um, she's a product of her past she is a product of her past yeah because even just little you know moments like that can really show you a lot about a character can't they yeah and I understand I do understand where Gabby comes from because I imagine that I would probably feel frustrated if a friend of mine who is not struggling with money sits down and talks to me about oh I, I think you're struggling with money I think I've noticed it and I would sit there and be like Brie it's really easy for you to talk to me about my money problems when you're sat there with a pretty much what looks like a literal diamond on your coffee table yeah so Lynette turns up to Topher's birthday party with the twins telling her kids that they can just go play Tammy tells her that she will not ruin her party Ooh, I'd like to point out the fire in her eyes right also it's not your party love it's your son's <laughs> what are you and your dirty kids doing here <laughs> um, and goes into the bouncy castle to get Lynette's children out Lynette follows her into the bouncy castle and tells Tammy that she knows her son is patient zero and Tammy kicks the kids out of the bouncy castle before telling Lynette that it wasn't hard to convince people that her kids were patient zero as they aren't exactly the cleanest Lynette obviously takes offence threatens to tell the parents the truth and take back the present. Yes, Lynette. Tammy offers a sort of a bit of a rubbish half-assed apology at first, but then when Lynette doesn't fall for it, she promises Lynette that she will tell everyone the truth. Damn right. Right? You've seen Housewives of Beverly Hills. You know it's not about the kids. Oh, I know. It's not about the kids. This party looks amazing. They've got a clown. They've got a bouncy castle. There was a, a showdown in the bouncy castle. What could be better? But also, these kids' parties, I think, are more of a, a status symbol for the mums. Oh, yeah. Like, look what I can afford. Look at the party. And we can we can see the sort of standing that Tammy Brennan has because Lynette's kids run straight into the bounce castle and then some random parent who isn't Tammy runs to the bounce castle and tells her kids to get out. I don't want you playing with those Scarvo boys oh, is what you hear her say. Hated that. So Tammy obviously has some sort of standing with the other mums. She's been part of a member of this school for a little bit longer. Lynette's kids came in a little bit later than the other children and she's obviously rich and popular. This is one of those scenes which emphasises why Lynette is my favourite. Mm. As rubbish as she can be sometimes, she's still my favourite. Yeah, I mean, I I hope those women took their shoes off on a bouncy castle. She's probably got the she's proper ballsy. She just run like goes right into that castle. She and does. She is sticking up for her kids. She is ready for the showdown. But Lynette, please tell me you took off your shoes before you went into that bouncy castle. That's how you damage them. Yeah, she's not having this. She's not having these parents disrespect her kids. She isn't. And the fact that Tammy can't just open up and say, "Okay, I did this," and then say, "I'm sorry," but blah blah blah. The fact that she's like. Well, it wasn't hard to convince people because your kids are dirty scum. Right, like, excuse me? Let's not make the situation worse. I've literally just walked in here and said, I know who's patient zero and I'm going to tell everyone. And you're like, excuse me, but your kids are dirty scum. Let's not reflect this. Your kid is the one that started it. Exactly. No, 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 no. (laughs) So... Moving on to the last scene, Brie pops over to visit Gabby, where she uses the money that she would have spent on membership to the country club and gives it to her and Carlos instead. Oh, then what happens? Claiming, I know, right? Claiming that they're not going to renew their membership at the country club this year anymore. We all know why, but she's acting like it's this big thing. Yeah, after her whole spiel. Yeah, so (laughs) she claims that good friends offer to help, but great friends don't take no for an answer. Gabby promises Brie that she will pay her back every cent. Sick. This, okay, I absolutely love Gabby and Bree's friendship and you really see it grow over the course of the entire series. Yeah. I do genuinely believe that the friendship between Bree and Gabby is stronger than any of the other friendships in this show. You know, I would be inclined to agree. Because you really see them defending each other, standing by each other, 
looking out for one like oh yeah absolutely incredible yeah susan's got her own stuff going on pretty much all the time she's quite self-centered oh um what's the other one (laughs) what's the other one your favorite yeah (laughs) lynette's always got her own stuff going on but these two are a bit you know closer aren't they they yeah but yeah they do have a very nice close friendship i would definitely agree it's such a sweet gesture to offer so much money to someone and it's also such a huge responsibility to accept it. it yeah i don't know i don't know how much is there that she offered i don't know how much it costs to renew your country club membership but i'm not sure if i could accept it like i always sit here and like my lottie will always say if i'm in the lorry i'm gonna pay for you to get your own house like i'm gonna you know buy a house for you and i always sit there and be like oh and i'll, I'll do exactly the same like if i'm in the lorry haha but when it comes down to it i don't know if i could accept it yeah i think it would be it's a massive responsibility it's a lot to take on it is and uh, granted i've been friends with this girl for 12 years so it's not like it's uh, a fairly new friendship it's been formed we've been friends for the long haul and i see us being friends for the rest of our lives blah 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 but i just don't know if i could accept such a large amount of money from anyone i felt like crying Mm. It was a lovely gesture. It was a really lovely scene. Mm. So, anyway. Now Brie has something over Gabby. She does. Now she can hover that over forever. The puppet master. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mary Alice talks about Scandal and how everyone loves them, no matter how big or small they are, because they're so entertaining for those that are not involved in them directly. Yes. And she's not wrong. We end seeing Paul sit on his sofa and coming across the videotape that Susan dropped and failed to pick up. That's going to make Edie look suspicious. Real suspicious, because he had no idea that Susan was there. He's already been suspicious and tried to get Edie killed before. This isn't going to help. <gasps> he has! When he was, like, under the impression that it was Edie that was blackmailing Mary Alice. Yeah. Yeah. This ain't good. No. <laughs> so, that was Season 1, Episode 6, The Ladies Who Lunch. Yes, it was. So, let's move on to... Well, we normally talk about the title. We do normally talk about the title. And the ladies... Well, they lunch. They do lunch. There we, we saw go. Brie, we saw Brie having lunch with Rex. We saw Brie having dinner with Rex. They they sort of, you know... We didn't see Susan ...have eat. dips and such with each other. When yeah. They discuss... Yeah. You know what? We, we cracked it. <laughs> we did it. We figured the, it out. The Ladies Who Lunch, I think, refers to the social classism that's is that even a word um the 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 class divide that goes on and the behavior and mentality of the upper class i think that that's what the ladies who lunch mean like that's what it sort of encompasses yes the social hierarchy that's the phrase thank you so let us move on to joel's segment for the best outfit of the episode i'm giving it to brie at the country club oh the pastel blue the pastel blue the whole like i'm playing tennis with my rich friends realness kind of thing <laughs> so i'm giving it to brie at the country club yes maybe you should do more of these looks and less golf jumpers yes i'm up for these looks maybe with less of the hair and the world would be better off for it the hair took it from a 10 to about a 7.5 maybe an 8 it but... also took her from her age of fade to about 12 yeah that too and joel what is your pick for the worst outfit of the episode my pick for worst outfit of the episode goes to tammy Tammy Brennan, for that god-awful outfit that you wore to your child's birthday party. I know it's only a birthday party, and the kid's only, like, what, five? But you still, let's make an effort. Let's look nice. And we're not, nice. We're, not being, we're not being biased here at all? No, we're not being biased. I don't care what she does to Lynette. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, out her all you want, okay? I can tell you right now, Lynette pretended that her child had cancer to get into a yoga class. There you go, Tammy. I've given you some dirt on Lynette. Go, do it. But make sure you look better doing it than you did this oh, one. The Jesus. next no wrong And what do we say to the bad outfit, guys? <laughs> That's what we say. Thank you, Thorgy. <laughs> <laughs> so, who do you have best as your parent best parent of the episode? My award for... I mean, naturally, 
it goes to Lynette. She stuck up for her kids. Yeah. She got them into that party that they were uninvited to. She got them in. You make it sound like there was a bouncer and everything at the door. Like she I'm just surprised through the front door. Like I am surprised there wasn't a bouncer at this party. Maybe it was the magician. Oh, maybe she probably tackled him. Yeah, but good for you, Lynette. You stuck up for your kids who were completely in the right for, for once. Bravo, Lynette. <laughs> they they didn't deserve the crap that they were getting from this Tammy character. No, they re- they really didn't. No. So, so, who do you have as your worst parent? My award for worst parent of the episode. And um, this lady, congratulations for getting two awards in one episode. Tammy Brannan. Oh, congrats, Tammy. I think that's the first time we've had a double award in one episode. I know, right? (laughs) And it goes to a day player. Well done, Tammy. Bravo. I mean, come on. Lying about your kids and blaming it on other kids. Like, it's just, it's not very motherly. It's not very motherly, no. I know that this is kind of slight, only slightly within the parameters of parent, because it, in terms of directing her, her own spawn, she did what she thought was best, and, you know, everyone still came to this kick-ass party. But as a mother and a nurturer, come on. Because if you're a mum, I feel like you should be nice to all kids and look out for all the kids. Ew, have I really got to do that when I become a parent? Yeah. Ew. So that was season one, episode 16, The Ladies Who Lunch. Great title, great episode. We had Felicia and Edie in one scene. We did. They were both back, which was great. But yeah, Edie had the most screen time out of all the actors in this episode. Which really surprised me, and it was well overdue. I think they were making up for the fact that she'd been in, like, she hadn't been in the last, like, three episodes or something. Yeah, and you are more than welcome to come back anytime. Yes, Edie, always come back. We love you. You're my favourite. Nicolette Sheridan, bravo. (laughs) So, next week we will be doing episode 17, There Won't to be trumpets so get ready for that and i am assuming that there aren't trumpets in the episode but i can't remember i really can't remember so i'm gonna say no because i imagine something as random as that would have stuck with me so if people want to follow us on our socials where we post all of our promotions and such where can people find us so people can find us on instagram at boyfriends review and you can find us on twitter at bfs review we also have email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com, where you can send in all of your questions, comments, queries, and theories. And our artwork, our artwork is done by our friend Louis. You can find him on Instagram at docredmonkdesign, where you'll also find a link to his Etsy page, because he does do commissions. He does do commissions, guys. So give him a message if you want some, because he was talking to me earlier today about how he's bored. <laughs> so um, give him some stuff to do. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We will see you next week with There Won't Be Trouble. See you next week, guys. Bye. Bye.